0: Good afternoon. This is Ryan Rolfson, a partner with Ropes & Gray in the Litigation and Enforcement Practice Group. I'm here with Glenn Leon, Senior Vice President, Deputy General Counsel, and Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer with Hewlett Packard Enterprise. We're talking today about common risks, challenges, and opportunities in running a global ethics and compliance program. Thanks again, Glenn, for taking a few minutes to chat with us today. My pleasure. What does a typical day look like for you in running uh, Hewlett Packard's uh, Global Ethics and Compliance Program?
1: Well, it's fair to say that there is no typical day. Probably all of us could say that about our respective jobs. Um, my team handles the core work streams we have, our investigations, our serious, most serious ethics investigations. Um, we have a separate anti-corruption program. Uh, we have a global trade team. We have a privacy team. We also spend a lot of time with policies, training, running our mailbox, and our open-door policy, and then we also have a separate Uh, what we call an SER program, uh, Social and Environmental Responsibility Program. At a high level, that's what my team does. I would say I spend um, certainly the majority of my time focusing on anti-corruption issues and investigations, um, and less so perhaps on a day-to-day level on some of the other issues.
0: So Glenn, where would you say you're spending a majority of your time and resources right now in terms of mitigating risks for the company, and how are you tackling it?
1: A few areas. Uh, We are spending a lot of time uh, on training. We're actually in the process right now of reviewing our our SBC, our Standards of Business Conduct. It's a very good product. Um, It hasn't been revised in five years, and we're making it uh, better. Uh, We're we're making it more targeted to our particular areas of risk. We're making it more readable. We're making it more interactive. Um, So training, communications uh, is a big priority of ours. Anti-corruption, FCPA is a big area of risk, so we do spend a lot of time auditing our anti-corruption programs, auditing our partners as appropriate, making sure that the the various systems that we have uh, in place, uh, in-house, can improve. We're always looking for areas to to improve in our anti-corruption space, that's another big area.
0: Do you see any regulatory or enforcement trends, whether in the U.S. or abroad, that will be particularly in the forefront in the next year or two, that not only is focusing in on, but you think it's your understanding or impression that other multinationals are are, are looking to very closely.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, picking up with the GDPR, that's important to all multinationals. Um, I think there's going to be an interesting tension, if there isn't already, between um, the push that the GDPR is imposing on a lot of multinationals to be more sensitive to privacy issues and putting that against the threat coming in the cyberspace. Um, So I think we have an interesting, potentially an interesting tension where we're gonna have more and more efforts needed from a law enforcement perspective to really fight uh, cybercrime and issues that many multinationals face as an existential threat to their companies if if they really have a a real serious cyber threat uh, and weighing that against the GDPR and the push uh, particularly from the European Community to respect individual privacy laws of individuals. That's that's a trend I think that we're kind of uh, we're we're experiencing now, and it's going to increase. So that's certainly one. And again, staying with uh, anti-corruption, um, certainly the DOJ and SEC have been leaders in this space. But uh, certainly we are seeing more and more and more countries taking um, anti-corruption prosecutions and investigations very seriously. And that's really now a, a true multinational and global enforcement uh, trend throughout the world is only increasing.
0: One thing we could talk a little bit about, given what HPE does in terms of big data and, and, and managing you know, enterprise-wide data, are there any um, tools or trends that you're seeing, whether it's now or coming online in the future, of trying to use data and data analytics to help you and your job in managing a you know, really large global ethics and compliance program?
1: So it's a good question. We've uh, identified three really big areas of risk that we we do cover from an investigation standpoint, the kind of issues that I report up to the Audit Committee, for example, anti-corruption being one. The other two, one is off-book funds, um, and the other is revenue recognition misconduct. And anything in the off-book fund or rev rec space is of particular interest to us. We pay particular attention, and we take those, those allegations very seriously. Um, Offbook funds and RevRec in particular, we believe uh, that there are opportunities um, to do some better detection through data analytics. So for example, um, revenue recognition misconduct is basically improperly stuffing the channel, getting in your numbers at the end of a quarter through site agreements or other improper means to make your numbers for the quarter. At its high level, that's what it is. So we're looking, uh, we're partnering right now with our internal audit team. To, to look at trends and to see, well, maybe there are certain things, certain red flags that pop the last few weeks of any quarter that might be things that we can, we can observe and measure and then use uh, from a data analytics standpoint to, to, to catch things going forward. So that's one thing we're working on right now.
0: A key thing that everyone um, focuses on with a global ethics and compliance program is the, the concept of tone at the top. Um, how is it that, that you address fostering a positive ethical tone at the top as well as tone at the middle at the company.
1: So, yeah, tone at the top is is a lot of lip service g- is given to it. It is very important. I'm I'm proud that I in saying that we do have a strong tone at the top. I think we have that in several ways. One is we had a big FCPA settlement, and that gets a lot of people's attention. Um, and and frankly, you know, I think we took advantage and made the most of a of a, of a bad situation. So I can truly say we have the the, the buy-in of, of of the the people who really run the company. So that's kind of point one. Point two is um we have various measures uh that are in place where we get engagement with the business not just legal uh, but business hr finance and legal so we have uh in addition to regular contact with the audit committee we have a separate ethics and compliance committee that's a separate committee that i chair it has many members of the of the executive committee many members who report uh leaders business leaders who report to the, the ceo and i meet with them once a quarter and I talk to them about trends, issues, key investigations, remedial efforts, things like that. That's, a, that's another way to keep engagement tone at the top. We have other systems in place where we have regular, uh, very regular contact with key business leaders um, to let them know about issues, trends that we're seeing. So that's not just tone at the top, but then to your, your other part of your question, tone at the middle. I've got uh, two calls, for example, scheduled next week with a group of people who are, we call liaisons. Those are people who are more senior level middle managers who are, who are particular leaders in, in the regions, uh, in particular countries, and we're gonna sit with them, two different calls for an hour each, and talk to them about uh, investigations where we're, we're engaged with remedial efforts, um, trends, positive and negative, and getting direct engagement with them. Uh, another thing I'm gonna be doing, I'm gonna be flying around uh, the back end of this year with uh, several leaders of mine, my other uh, directs, Um, to go and do face-to-face training, Uh, go to countries, go engage with business leaders, um, really at that more middle manager level to let them know what we're seeing, want to hear what they're seeing, and have very frank conversations. And and those are just some examples of how we engage at the tone at the top as well as tone at the middle.
0: Are there any practical things that you've found, whether it's, you know, you mentioned, for example, talking to, you know, senior middle management in in terms of trying to foster a positive tone at the middle. Are there other things that you found particularly successful in fostering that tone at the middle? Yeah,
1: it's a good question. I would say we we are doing a few things in that space. One of the things we've heard other companies doing, we're doing it, and, and we've, we're getting some good engagement on this is um, sharing kind of ripped from the headlines. Um, so we are taking actual investigations where we've seen misconduct uh, and sanitizing the fact pattern so we're not um, outing a particular team or a particular person, but making it clear, this is, this happened at our company. Uh, this is wrong. This is why it's wrong. Um, these people got fired or these people got sanctioned. This is what we've done to fix it. We're getting buy-in and, and a lot of positive reactions from the business who actually likes that. And the last thing I'd say on that is we will send out those communications, not from me as the head of ethics compliance. We'll ask business leaders to actually send out those communications. We have found that it is more effective, more impactful. And frankly, those communications are read more carefully if, if, if a message like that is being sent by the guy or woman who uh, signs their paycheck, who is responsible for their bonus and their review, rather than some some guy like me in, in Washington who's the ethics guy. Um, it, it sends a good uh, tone at the middle where it's the manager, the business leader, who's sending that ethics message rather than me.
0: We talked a little bit about training um, and how important that is to, to your program. Um, obviously, when you're thinking about a global ethics and compliance program, you're talking about a lot of different laws, a lot of complex issues, whether it's privacy, uh, anti-corruption, uh, accounting treatment, revenue recognition. Uh, A whole host of of cybersecurity, a whole host of issues that could have not only a a variety of different laws in the United States, but also multiply that by the number of countries you're operating in. How is it you're able to effectively communicate those complex, sometimes contradictory uh, laws and concepts to a broad group of employees around the world?
1: So, and and not every company does it this way. The way we do it... um is as follows we have very little mandatory training to my knowledge we only have two trainings for the whole company that are mandatory required every employee from the most senior to the most junior and including board members have to take one is sbc the standards of business conduct there are our code of ethics every employee has to take that once a year and the other is cybersecurity, uh, uh cyber training there is a lot of other training at the company and that is targeted for particular teams. So the, the public sector team has to take separate public sector training. People who have a particular do do particular work in the global trade space may have to take particular global trade training and on and on and on. But the only required training we have is our SBC annually and our cyber training. And when you look at our SBC training, our code, once a year, we have boiled that down to about an hour. One thing we've done in the last couple of years, which I think was, has been a nice move, is instead of having one training that everyone has to take, that frankly used to be like an hour and a half, now we've boiled it down to three different modules, depending on the kind of employee profile you have. If you are more um, back office finance, you may have a training that focuses more on books and records um, and financial issues. Um, if you have more of a job that's more sales uh, and, and and external facing, you may have more of a training that has a higher emphasis on the FCPA. Everyone takes the, the, the main areas, but we will we will modulate a bit to, to your particular profile. Um, but we take the approach that if it's an employee's time, it's valuable. Uh, we're not bombarding them with a ton of required mandatory training. And in terms of the mandatory training, we try to make it very risk-based. We try to focus it on what is, what is the kind of risk that this particular employee is most likely going to face, trying to target it to that employee's profile, and making the mandatory training Pretty, pretty specific and targeted. Having said that, we have a lot of other training that, again, is situational, is regional. Um, It's run more by country council, local council, uh, with support from ECO, my team, but it really is much more situational.
0: Do you you ever train your uh, third-party business partners?
1: We do. um, It's a good question. We do. um, We require all of our partners, and we have a lot of partners. Um, to uh, certify that they're familiar, have read and certify that they're familiar with our partner code of conduct. Um, we require that to, uh, certification to be renewed on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, and then when we see issues through an audit or in other areas, we will we will, we will require uh, training.
0: So, I mean, to state it uh, somewhat obviously, I mean, one of the biggest risks for every company in the world is, is third-party engagement. Um, that, that's, that's obviously the risk that you see in, in virtually every um, enforcement action under the FCPA, as well as several other laws. W- what is the most powerful tool that you have available or that you believe is the most successful in terms of managing and mitigating third-party risk for the company?
1: Well, a couple of things. One is we can always fire them <laughs> and get rid of them, and they know that. And we do that. Uh, we try not to. That's, that's, a, that's a last resort. Uh, but we certainly do that. And frankly, the more we do that, even if it's the exception, not the rule, the more other partners see that, and, and that, that drives behavior. We also have audit rights, and we do that, and we're doing more of that, and that certainly drives behavior as well. Partners don't want to be audited. Frankly, a lot of our internal members of the business don't want the partners to be audited, but we do it, and we, we, we hold them to it. Um, but the other thing is, obviously, on the front end, we do have a very, very rigorous um, due diligence process on the front end. My team, my anti-corruption team, actually gets quite engaged pretty early on if there are, are, are any real red flags, and then we will, will look under the hood even further. To your point, um, that's where a lot of the mischief is, whether it's in with FCPA, off-book funds, um, you know, and, and you've got to you've got to make sure that um, you hold you hold partners to a high standard.
0: About how many business partners does HPE have?
1: HPE has conservatively well over 10,000 partners. Uh, When you include partners, tier one, tier two, systems integrators, consultants, and if you loop everyone in, well over 10,000.
0: And and are all those parties run through some level of diligence? Absolutely, yeah, everyone. And how do you draw the line, practically speaking, between those that get, let's call it like basic diligence versus enhanced diligence versus extra enhanced diligence?
1: Yeah. So we do that in a couple of ways. One is, um, obviously, tier one, the people that we are directly engaged with are going to get more scrutiny than a a second or third level partner. Um, Doesn't mean that the tier two and three don't get scrutiny, but the ones we directly engage with certainly get more. Um, The other is we do have, on top of our due diligence of our partners, we have other anti-corruption programs that overlay on top of that. Um, So for example, any public sector deal in particular countries, particular high-risk countries, over a certain amount of money gets scrutinized by my team um, or they don't happen. So that's one example of of, of several of a few examples where we have additional um, checks uh, on particular high-risk deals. Uh, so that's another example of where uh, a, a deal would be scrutinized and the partners would be scrutinized as well.
0: So uh, what's next for HPE's program? Um,
1: good question, Ryan. Um, so what's, what's, uh, what's next for our program? Just picking up on what I was saying earlier, the way a good program or a very good program I think we have gets stays very good and gets better is you've always got to be evaluating. You've always got to be changing. And again, using the example I gave earlier with our FCPA program, we had a world-class FCPA program four years ago because we had to because we were entering into this big settlement with the DOJ and SEC. And I have every confidence that our program today, four years later, is better than it was then. And the only reason for that is we've hired more good people, we've stayed on top of trends, we've engaged with good outside counsel, and we're auditing and we're trying to continually improve. Uh, We've not just done that with the FCPA, but we've done that with the GDPR, with uh, some of the things we've just talked about uh, this afternoon, uh, training compliance. Uh, We haven't even really talked about our SER, our Social Environmental Responsibility Program, but we're doing a lot of things in the human rights space. Um, supply chain ethics, um, what have you. So I'm confident in in this role I've been here three years, I can say with confidence I inherited a strong team, which I was lucky to do, but it has gotten better. So the future is just continuing to to improve and figure out other uh, places we we, we can continue to improve.
0: Thank you again, Glenn, for taking the time to chat with us today. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Please tune in to our other podcasts on topics related to international risk mitigation and management. You can find them at our website at www.ropesgray.com. And, of course, if we can help you navigate any of these challenges, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Thank you.